Do you know who's behind your email? What do they fund? Are they building a culture you want to be a part of? This Advent, break up with Big Tech and reboot your email with FIDE. Look us up, F-I-D-E-I. There's a link in the description box below. That's FIDE, how Catholics send email. The passing away of Benedict XVI was something that has had a lot of implications. Today's video is, a, I think, a fair follow-up to yesterday's, where I spoke at length about the attempt to erase Benedict XVI's legacy from essentially the Vatican museums and other parts of the Vatican where historic artifacts are placed. The In that video, I discussed how his coat of arms was being removed from his own mass vestments and things that his predecessors, going back to at least Pius XII, they're on display with their coats of arms. So why isn't Benedict's? That's a good question, and we have not gotten a good answer for that. And there was this article that I've initially passed over, but I thought, you know, maybe this would be a good time to talk about it. It's from something from Phil Lawler. There's, you see, he he puts together some pieces here that are important in this in this essay he put, he published on his own website. There has been a concerted effort to erase the legacy of Benedict XVI. Benedict was the most resisted pope probably in modern history. It just wasn't from anybody calling their position recognize and resist who was doing the resisting. Although, to be fair, recognize and resist certainly existed at that time and was pushing back against the errors under Benedict because there were errors. There were things Benedict did that just categorically did not line up with what the church had always taught on things. But they were nearly as bad as they are now, obviously. But the main resistance from Benedict didn't come from traditionalists. It came from the hyper-modernists, the ones who now tell us to have unwavering loyalty to Francis, that we must submit to him because he is where Peter is, and he that where Francis is is where the church is, and everything he says comes from on high. And, you know, you you've been a you've written on the recipient you've been a recipient of this stuff yourself, certainly for many years now. You understand. But the same people would defy Benedict. A good example of this was when Benedict XVI quietly retooled the consecration prayers for the Novus Ordo Mass. There had been some debate among very mainstream theologians about the validity of the Novus Ordo, about whether you actually receive the sacraments because of the prayers of that the priests were supposed to say at the consecration, that they did not line up with anything that came before, and that there were actual prayers missing that would have made the Mass valid. And so Benedict XVI ended that debate among mainstream theologians by actually changing the prayers to conform to Catholic theology unequivocally. The resistance to this came from Germany, where in many places the, his decree has been utterly ignored, and the conciliar form of the Novus Ordo, for instance, are, is still in full force. And that's just one area. And the James Martin stuff is another area. The widespread use of extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion is another area. I mean, you can rattle off these things that Benedict was trying to fix. His mere presence caused probably the greatest resistance to a pope we've seen in the modern world before Francis. It's not something they'll tell you, but it is a fact. So the question here is, that Phil Lawler brings to the attention is another one we've asked ourselves here on this channel and in the comments and in live stream chats and everything else, which is, is Benedict XVI, or was Benedict XVI, rather, a restrainer on Francis. 
Benedict XVI passed away just over a year ago, and 2023 was a remarkable year in the church. And 2024 looks like it will be just as remarkable. Within days of his passing away, you started getting Vatican documents, Vatican decrees, news coming from synods where all of a sudden any sense of restraint was gone. The modernists felt completely free to tell us that they wanted to change the church's teachings on X, Y, and Z. Didn't seem to matter before that Benedict was there, but they still restrained themselves for some reason. And you've got all these strange decrees coming from Rome, now just nakedly evil appointments to various Vatican dicasteries and things. Things sped up after the passing of Benedict XVI. Most every observer who is critical of Francis to some degree will admit that. And here we have Phil Lawler giving us a good explanation for this. He, at over on his website, he begins by reiterating basic history. Benedict XVI publicly resigned the papacy, pledged unswerving loyalty to Francis in 2013, remained mostly silent after his alleged resignation, and when he spoke, it was very measured. You generally know the story. The few times he spoke, he verbally reminded everyone that he did in fact resign and that there was one pope and his name was Francis. That sort of thing. I've made, video, I've made videos on that when he did that. But as Mr. Lawler describes it, his mere presence was to act as a restrainer on Francis, whether he intended to be one or not. Here's what Mr. Lawler has to say on that. Quote, The mere presence of the former pontiff inside the walls of the Vatican was widely seen as a restraint on Pope Francis. Although Benedict would not utter a word of criticism, his occasional public statements, though always carefully measured, sometimes contrasted sharply with those of Francis. And while he was mostly silent after his retirement, he had left a very full account of his thoughts before he stepped down. Everyone knew what the former Pope thought, and everyone could make an informed guess, at least, about what Benedict thought of his successor's statements and policies. Thus, even in his silent retirement, the Pope Emeritus was available as a standard for comparison with Pope Francis. Admirers of the retired Pontiff could and did say that Pope Benedict would never have said X, would never have done Y. And there was always the possibility, however remote, that if Francis crossed the line, if he was too bold in his departures from Catholic tradition, Benedict would break from his self-imposed silence and protest. Such an overt conflict between the two popes, even with one having renounced his authority, could have provoked a crisis in the church. On December 31st, 2022, that possibility ceased to exist. The Pope Emeritus was no longer available as a measuring rod by which Pope Francis could be judged, no longer a rallying point for critics of the current pontificate. And whether or not his absence emboldened his successor, it is unquestionably true that in 2023, Pope Francis was markedly more aggressive in pushing for changes in the church. End quote. That aggression did not take long either. I think the most aggressive turn he did was the dismissal of Cardinal Ladaria from the now Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith and the appointment of Tuco Fernandez, the erstwhile writer. I mean, as someone covering the news of the past year, there had been a lot of stories that really dominated the headlines. The dismissal of bishops like Bishop Strickland, but Fernandez's the, the fear whipped up by the presence of Fernandez, his snarky dubia responses, his 
just evil decree and fiducia supplicants and the clarity document he issued right afterwards in early 2024. These things were landmark moments in the year in the life of the church in 2023. There were a lot of big stories in 2023, but the putting the final touches on the on the Francis reign and the putting in place mechanisms to try to guarantee a Francis II, those things were really the characteristic changes that we saw in 2023 after Benedict. And we're probably, we're likely to get more of that kind of thing too. It's undeniable at this point that if they're will, if Francis is willing to tolerate somebody like Fernandez, knowing full well the reaction, even from the secular media to the stuff he has said, the stuff he wrote in his ancient past and his, his role in changing church teachings on James Martin stuff. What do you think are, is the possibility that Francis would be so self-restrained as to not try to tinker with the next conclave. Every pope except Benedict in recent de uh, decades has tinkered with the how a conclave runs. Conclave is how we elect a Roman pontiff, right? And John Paul II changed the rules of the conclave. Paul VI changed rules about the conclave. I think John XXIII even did. Every, every one of the popes, it seems like, for the last several decades has done this. What makes you think Francis won't? And what makes you think Francis's changes won't will be anything as restrained as previous? Tinkering with how many cardinals can participate in their age and that kind of stuff, which are all gigantic deals when it happened. But will seem like nothing compared to the stuff that's likely to happen with Francis. When Francis makes changes, he does not make small changes. We go here, though, to see what the effect was according to Phil Lawler. Quote, a year later, after the passing of Benedict XVI, the determination of Pope Francis to brush aside his predecessor's legacy can be seen more clearly. Seawald recently complained that Francis, quote, has erased much of what was precious and clear to Ratzinger. The most obvious repudiation, of course, was Traditionis Custodis, which was before Ratzinger's passing, scuttling Benedict's hope that the Novus Ordo and the traditional Latin Mass could both profit from, quote, mutual enrichment. Seawald reports that the Pope Emeritus was, quote, uh, was afflicted in the heart by that document, which caught him by surprise. He only learned about it from press reports. Then there was a heavy-handed move by Pope Francis to order Archbishop Georg Gonsfein to leave Rome without any new ecclesial assignment, so that the former Pope's private secretary was effectively exiled to Germany, where he described himself as, quote, looking for work. And now an Italian insider reports from Rome that Pope Francis has ordered the removal of Benedict's coat of arms from the liturgical vestments from the past pontificate. If it is true, and I emphasize that I have not confirmed the report, I did, it, it is true, this would be another unprecedented step to erase his predecessor's legacy. As recently as a few months ago, I would have been inclined to doubt this news report, but as I remarked in November, I have learned from experience not to underestimate this Pope's determination to punish those he perceives as his rivals, dead or alive, <laughs> end quote. And all that is on top of the erasure of John Paul II's legacy. In the last year, we seem to have forgotten that Francis retooled the Pontifical Academies for Life and, and the Family to essentially be in opposition to their core purpose. I mean, the Academy for Life is the most obvious one. He put a bunch of uh, sympathizers and advocates for the Moloch ritual onto the, <laughs> the board there thus completely changing what the organization's purpose is about, putting it at direct odds with John Paul II's mission on that. 
this erasure of these legacies is, of course, nothing really new. I mean, you see it also in any time Francis issues a document. People now make a game of it. They go to the, they just skip right to the end before they read it and see, play, and you know, play the game of just counting the number of cit- citations Francis makes to his own writings, and then to anybody else. Most post-conciliar prelates, Cardinal Mueller being a good example, cite Vatican II documents almost exclusively, and when they do cite something before Vatican II, it's usually Vatican I. They rarely cite anything else other than, you know, scripture or something. But with Francis, it's taken to a whole extra level. It's himself predominantly and then Vatican II documents, and that's about it. That is a form of erasing his the legacy of his predecessors by just elevating his own self to being the most important writer in the church. But do you? I'm curious what you think. Do you think Benedict is being erased and that he was a restrainer on Francis and that as a restrainer he is now gone and that's part of the reason we see this? And why do you believe that? Do you? I, obviously, I know many of you are going to fill the comments with the. Benedict was the real Pope, resignation stuff. Again, I was quoting Phil Lawler, though, just characterizing how he said things. But I'm curious, do you really believe he was the restrainer on Francis? Let me know what you think about that in the comments, please. And hit like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. So to sharing this on social media, that helps too. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.